Do you know a family looking to enrich their children's Jewish learning? Some want to give their children Jewish enrichment beyond what they're learning in day school. Others don't send their kids to private Jewish day school. And many Jewish parents today homeschool, but still need a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive three Khan Academy-style lessons each week and also participate in a weekly Zoom lesson. Over this past year, children and Jewish families around the world studied and developed their Jewish learning skills with Kita. Now, we're looking to build on our incredible success as we open enrollment for the fall 2021 semester. Courses will include the 10 trials of Avraham Avinu as we study texts from Reishit, Megillat Ruth, as well as Mishnah Masechet Sukkah. To schedule a consultation and find out if Kita is right for your family, visit kita.org slash home plus and fill in the registration form. That's kita, K-I-T-A-H dot org slash home plus. Zionism, not orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I am the director of the Rimonim pro- pro- program in the Herzog Academic College and the founder of Kita.org. Ask me about that. I'm here with Harav Johnny Solomon, who's the, who directs his... his uh, Johnny, what do you call it? I just want to get it correct. The I'm, I'm a virtual a rabbi. Virtual rabbi. You're a real a rabbi, too. But editor, just, educator, whatever. No, but I'm talking about the virtual... Your virtual... Um, um, Spiritual coaching, coaching. halachic consultation. Johnny is a pioneer in the field of rabbinic coaching. We are with Rabbanit Malibravsky. Rabbanit Malibravsky is the head of the Shana Bet program, Midrashat Lindenbaum, a licensed MMI. social worker. Um, Not Midrashat Lindenbaum. Uh, what? Sorry. You said, said Midrashat Lindenbaum. <laughs> you uh, meant MMY. MMY. I'm sorry. Why am I thinking about Lindenbaum? Because we are very, very honored to have with us mm-hmm. uh, here today Rabbanit uh, Shira Marily Mervis. I said it right? Shira Marily Mervis. Yes. Rabbi Mervis made great, made tremendous news. She made a lot of news in the religious world, in the Jewish world, uh, becoming the first uh, leader of an female leader of an Orthodox synagogue in Israel. And uh, first of all, Rabbi, thank you so much for joining with us today. Todaraba, happy to be here. Okay, and so that's the first thing that you people don't know that she is a fluent English speaker. So, Rabbi Mervis, um, first of all. Just tell us a little bit. I think people who are listening to this have heard about you and read about you, but they've never heard from you. So we feel that this podcast is an opportunity for us to meet you and interact and learn a little bit about you and about the role that you see that you're going to have. So if you don't mind, what, what brought you to this, I mean, pioneering role? What brought you? I, I'm a rabbi. I've done it for a lot of years. So like for me, it's a lot, you know, for men, it's not a big deal. But for a woman to be the leader, the spiritual leader of a community, Obviously, you recognize, I'm sure, yeah, I know you recognize um, the, wh- what that means. So how did you get here? Where, where did this start? So it started, all started like three years ago when we moved into the Tamar. The Tamar is a new neighborhood in Efrat. 
Uh, and when we came to the neighborhood, we started looking for a community, for a shul to be part of. And the whole, what people don't know about the Tamar, about this neighborhood, that it all came up in like three seconds, like two years. And the whole neighborhood from a deserted mountain just became to be a, a neighborhood full of people. So everything had to, to mamash begin from the start. So a lot of communities, a lot of schools, a lot of kindergartens, everything at once. So we were looking for a community and, and I was, I was, uh, I was sure that I, I'm looking for myself a community that I'll be able to hear women giving Torah, giving the Torah in Shul, that with the Mechitza, that I'm not going to be sitting upstairs because I want to hear the Chazan. I want to be able to see the Chazan, to see the Sefer Torah, um, et cetera, et cetera. And also we had a bat mitzvah for our daughter at that time. And we were looking for a Shul that we will be able to do bat mitzvah for Yuval, for our daughter. Uh, the main shul uh, that we were involved in decided not to let women give a Dvar Torah during tefillah, but only women will be giving Divrei Torah to women only. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not inside the shul and outside and, you know, in the Mu'adon and stuff like that. This is, very, this is very common in Israel. Very, very common. Very common in Israel, but wasn't suitable for me. Mm-hmm. And, and for I my husband... That, uh, that as you're saying, Ruby, it's very common in Israel. There, it's there also. I think, and I think Rabbi Shira will tell us more about this. And I think she's one of the pioneers. But there are now many communities that are creating new um, minyanim specifically to because of these issues. Including our community. That's not, that's not the top of this conversation, okay. but I will say there is a minion that exactly <laughs> these issues, exactly. The truth is, I also want to say to give credit to the Rav of Alam Shvut, the question of women speaking was an issue. And they figured out a compromise, not during tefillah, but at least women are speaking also to men. So I'm just, I'm just pointing this out. I don't, I, I, I want to hear Rabbi Nichira, but yeah. I just want to point out that the issues that she's talking about are, you know, to frame it as it's very uncommon in Israel is one no, I think it's very common in Israel. Right, it's to frame it as it's very common in Israel that this is not happening is one perspective, but the fact that it's growing and flourishing, as they say in, in Israel, like it's mushrooming out, is also a truth. And I'm so happy no. that Rabbi Nichira is, is spearhead, spearheading a lot of this. I think it's voice, such a... Voice ha- of it. Yeah. I think it's such a chaval that in Alon Shvut they're not letting women speak in the giving it Dvar Torah because they are brilliant women. So they do, they do. But so it's, 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 so it's, it's just it's unbelievable. It was never, yeah. So they, so they let women now give that shiur. First it was not in the main sanctuary. Then no, it moved a, to the main sanctuary. There are, there are different things also. And things are happening. But we digress. Let's go yeah. back digress. to Tamar. Yes. So it, that was three years ago, and we understood, Shlomo and I, we understood that this is not the shul. Bimit, the, the point of view was, I don't want to come and educate all the people. I want everyone to feel comfortable in the shul. And if, as a community, they have decided that it's not what they want, that a woman will say at Val Torah, I had no motivation to come and argue or convince or I was like fine great you do you and I'm gonna do me and we started with a few other families here in the neighborhood that was also looking for a community we started a new shul a new community it's called Shirat Tamar, and it was just a bunch of families and the three foundation of the kehila that the kehila the, the community decided on was tefillah from Omek Alev like it's and the joke in the neighborhood is that it's a long tefillah, okay? We're singing. The idea is to daven. We're not, there's no clock. 
and we're just, we're davening. So tefillah me'omek alev, looking at our kehila as a community and not as a minyan, meaning we have men, women, and kids, and they are all very important in our community, and we'll do whatever we can halachically and sociologically in order to include them in our community. And the third thing is that we've decided, mamash at the first days of the community, that we need a rabbi that will help us uh, develop and grow and decides what are the lines and how, how far are we, are we willing to go. We, were, we knew that we want to stay within the lines of halakha, obviously, and we, we understood that we are completely orthodox and obligated to halakha, but we wanted to make sure what are the boundaries within the lines of halakha that we can still make sure that women and kids will be part of the community and not just the minyan. So we went to Rav Riskin, and Rav Riskin, we are very honored and privileged, I think, to have Rav Riskin mamash helping and being taking part, very active part in our community from the first day that the community mamash started. And Rabbi Riskin came and gave shiurim in the community. Uh, I've been part of the va'ad, of the board of the shul, from the day it started. And my role was to be the connecting men or connecting women between the board and Rabbi Riskin. So every time we had a question, I had to go to Rabbi Riskin, ask him, bring back the answer, and talk to Rabbi Riskin. And Rabbi Riskin always wanted updates. So what are people saying? What are you doing? What do you want to do? It was always a conversation. It was always very open and to listen and to hear what people want to do and to, to, to give us the guidelines. So Can you elaborate a little bit about some of the issues that came up vis-a-vis -vis inclusion, meaning um, what are ways you said that our women and children are included that, that came up that Riskin did encourage and some of the things maybe he didn't encourage? I'm curious. Ken, so one of the things that I mamash... Uh, appreciated about Rav Riskin is uh, he gave a lot of shiurim. The first thing were where do we put the mechitza? How high the mechitza would be? How see-through the mechitza would be? How much would be made out of wood? And how much would be made out of fabric that you can see through it? And all of those questions. It came to a point that Rabbi Riskin actually came to the shul and we organized the mechitza and the bima and then organized it in a different way in order for the Rav to see and to help us decide what is the right way to do it for our community. The way that it works for us now is that men and women are sitting side by side. The mechitza is in the middle, made out of wood and then fabric on the top. Um, and the bima is in the middle. So basically when I'm sitting at Ezrat Nashim, I can see the mechitza, I can hear the chazan, I can see the sefer Torah. And when I'm giving a Dvar Torah, not just me, any other woman from the community that is giving a Dvar Torah, she doesn't have to move into the men's section. With, of the shul, she's just standing at the mamash at the tip. She's standing at the front of the mechitza. Exactly, she's standing, she's standing at the front of the mechitza next to the bima, and then she's able to see both men and women. And this is where the men's are standing, or the women, whoever is giving dvar Torah. So one of the things that Rabbi Riskin said, we had a lot of people coming into the neighborhood and starting to participate in our community, and a lot of families came from Yerushalayim, from many different shuls that are in Yerushalayim that are much more to the left. Uh, and then we had people coming from Alon Shvut or from other yeshuvim here in the Gush, and they were much more to the right. And, and there were different voices in our community, like how far do we take it? A lot of people wanted a woman to be chazanit for Kabbalat Shabbat and for Pesuket Zimra. Do we let women go up for the Torah, Likro Torah? How do we do that? So Rabbi Riskin said something very honest that I appreciated. 
as a halachic student, he said, it's allowed, but I'm asking you not to. He said, there is no halachic problem with women doing, being the chazanit for Kabbalat Shabbat or Pesuket Zimra, because everything that a child under Bar Mitzvah is able to do, woman is able to do as well. So if it's not Kedusha, if it's not something that requires uh, Kedusha, so a woman, if a child can do it, a woman can do it as well. But I'm asking you not to do it. As far as Kriya Torah, uh, so we didn't start with Kriya Torah. Rabbi Riskin, I don't know if you know, there's uh, there's a different, there's a machloket between Rav Sperber and Rav Riskin. Rav Sperber is allowing Pasak that women are allowed to go for Kriyat Torah from Revi'i and on. And Rav Riskin is only allowing Maftir and Haftara. And he said to us, even though halachically there is no problem for a woman to go from, from Maftir, I'm asking you not to do it because it looks like as if she's going to read the Torah because Maftir is mamash part of the Kriyat Torah. What I am allowing you is to do Haftarah because Haftarah is from the big Chumash and everyone that are looking in the shul, they know that it's not Kriyat Torah and it's a big difference and everyone can see the difference and therefore Haftarah is okay. So this is what we're doing. We have a woman reading Haftarah and I have to say that it's not every Shabbat, meaning like every other shul, we have Google Docs in the WhatsApp group and you can sign up and sometimes women sign up and sometimes men sign up and it depends whoever wants. In but most shows I know the Gabai runs around asking, finding somebody who wants to do it. <laughs> in our shul as well, we have Gabaim and Gabaiyot and Ken, they're asking, running around and asking people to give the Vrei Torah and to do the Haftarah. We have a woman saying at Tfilah Shlomo Dina, since Tfilah Shlomo Dina is 73 years old, we felt like it was something that a woman can say and then start problematic halach- halachically and Rav Riskin said it's not a problem. So we have a woman saying, uh, we have girls that are singing an Im's Mirot under Bar Mitzvah and Bat Mitzvah, but it's not only an option for boys, it's also an option for girls. And we actually, it's very cute, we have girls coming from all over the neighborhood to our show because they want to say Anim's Mirot, so their parents are just bringing them for Anim's Mirot and they're going back to their shuls. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's a, yeah. a halachic question. As, as, I feel like I'm the least halachically knowledgeable about these issues. Mamash, I'm, I'm just curious. Kabbalat Shabbat, is there an issue of kol isha? Does kol isha come so, up as an issue? Betach, that was a question. Like people from the community brought it up. Okay, so we're, it's not a problem for us to hear Dvar Torah from a woman because okay. it's a woman speaking. But when it comes to a, a woman being chazanit, isn't there an issue in shul of Isha, I don't know if it's called singing, but Chazanit. Exactly. Mamash. Is it, well, that's the question. Is it singing? Is it not singing? Okay. So I brought to the community a beautiful shoot. It's a question answer halachic type of a, of a halacha. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful shoot from Rav Ovadia, Rav Ovadia Yosef. And he is saying, he's writing there, he, he was asked about women saying Kaddish in a shul. Uh, by herself in front okay. of the men because they want she wanted the men the minyan to answer her kaddish and ravavadia said when it's davar shebekdusha when it's something that is part of tfila there's no issue of kol beishayrva and if men or oh, men are sitting there and they are having problem with that then it's a problem for the men mm-hmm. meaning well while you are in shul the context Kol uh, the, the halachic problem of kol 
the context is very important. For example, when I'm teaching, uh, when I was teaching, I told the girls that for me, going to a concert by a man singer, which is very sexual, and there was an example in Israel of some singer that came from, I don't know, Spain or America, I have no idea, Enrico Iglesias or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some, some girl came up to the stage and they started dancing together and they showed me a clip and I was terrified. And I was like, this is Kolisha. It doesn't matter that he's a man, but the context of Kolisha is the sexuality and what is going on and the dancing and the movement and the, it was horrible. So for me, Kolbe Isha could be a man as well. And while you are in shul, even though your voice is heard and you might be even singing, but it's definitely not Kolisha. And I think this is what Rav Ovadia is saying. Um, and uh, this is what Rav Riskin said as well. And he agreed, obviously. So it's not a problem of Kolisha. The problem is, is Isha is obligated at the same level as the men. And then is she can be Lotzi, Ken, Viduk. And as long as it's, uh, kids are able to do it, so women are able to do it yes, as well. And that's why Kabbalat Shabbat and Zimra are not a problem. Uh, but we're not doing it. I'm, I think or I feel that it will come, that there will be the day that we will, Bezrat Hashem, have a woman Chazanit. But it's not that day yet. It was very important for Rav Riskin. And I thought that it was very honest of him because a lot of rabbis are saying, it's not allowed, don't do that. But today people are very knowledgeable. I don't know if it's just in my community, but people know a lot. Kilo, I have amazing people in our community. We have professors and we have rabbis and we have PhD doctor in various uh, uh, scholars and and they know a lot and it's it's not enough for a rabbi to come and say everything is not allowed it's not true women can hold the dvar to, it can hold the sefer torah there isn't a halachic problem with the woman holding the sefer torah and taking it through the ezrat nashim okay. and on the other hand you're earning something that is so valuable that women are feeling part of the community and they're feeling part of the tefillah and they're feeling close to the Torah. And how important is that? That, that, that you can touch the Torah, that you can see it, that you can feel it. It's so important. And, and I think you gain so much more than what you lose, than what you might lose. And I'm uh, already- I wanna ask Rabjani to, Rabjani to, he has, he, we asked each of us to prepare some questions. So uh, first of all, meet Rabjani Solomon. Rabjani, please go ahead. Okay, so firstly, really lovely to meet you, and, and thank you so much for giving us some sense of context in, in terms of the timeline and development of the community and what is done, and obviously we'd love to hear more in terms of your role and your vision. Actually, I, I, want to, I have a couple of questions. I'll start with a relatively easy one. Uh, of the three, maybe it's not noticeable. I, I, for our listeners, we do this on Zoom, but then we record, have a, have a uh, vocal recording, but... I'm Sfaradi, and, and I know that you come from a Moroccan background, uh, from a shul where Rav Mordechai himself wrote uh, a number of, of beautiful tshuvot in terms of the, the development of, of women's learning in the modern period. So I'm curious as to how that background may or may not, I don't know, it's an open question. How has your Moroccan background, your Sfaradi background, shaped you as a scholar, as a thinker, as a person, uh, you know, I'm curious as to whether that's had an impact uh, both in terms of outlook. Sometimes often people think about uh, Sephardic halachic uh, rulings, especially in terms of women as being more open because there wasn't a response to the reform movement. Um, uh, sometimes people think about them as being more traditional for a whole variety of reasons too. 
So I'd just love to hear you talk a little bit about that and, and where you came from. So I grew up in Rav Eliyahu Shul as a kid. Right. That was the shul that we went to in Kirat Moshe. I grew up in Kirat Moshe before Rav Eliyahu was, uh, was the chief Sephardi rabbi. He was just a regular rabbi in the neighborhood and everyone respected him very much, obviously. I must remember him as a, like a good Saba sitting at the table. He had a special chair with red velvet and he had a special spot in the shul. And I remember my dad looking at him and I remember, I remember him, Mamash. I remember his face and his good eyes and he was kind. I'll tell you a story about Rav Eliyahu. Uh, in, in the Sephardi shul that I grew up in, kids would go up to the bima to say Imloch. And, uh, and uh, one time, one Shabbat, the Gabai of the shul started kind of yelling, but kind of telling the kids, Kadima, Imloch is over, go sit, be quiet, Kilu, trying to send the kids away. And Rav Eliyahu told him, you should only give candy to the kids. That's the only thing as a Gabai that you should do. Kids <laughs> belong, kids belong in shul. They belong on the bima. Don't send them away. Lehefech. Bring them in, give them candy, only smile at them. Don't scream at them, don't shout at them, don't intimidate them because you want them to feel part of the shul. And that was a very strong experience that I remember from Rav Eliyahu, Mamash trying to bring closer the kids into the shul. And I always remember that when we spent a couple of years in LA, Shlomo and I, we were shlichim for Bnei Akiva and the Jewish agency. And one time after a couple of months that we was there, one of the shuls that we davened at, the Gabai came to us and he said, listen, uh, Mamash, we're asking you, Shlomo, not to bring your kids to shul because you're working now. Kilu, coming to shul, this is your job, Kilu, as a shaliach on Shabbat. <laughs> and I remember the shock that we were in, first of all, just to think that we're working in shul, but also the, the set I of mind. I think that was your first introduction to being, the, being, being a rabbi of a shul. <laughs> You're working now. The, the, I know you don't think of it yet, but you might come to that. <laughs> uh, no, we talk a lot about, I think one of the first phone calls that I got after the nomination and all the publication and the noise was from a lady from our shul that I love very much. And she said, finally, we have a rabbi. You have to do something about the kids. You have to do something about the noise. <laughs> And, and I understood what she's saying. Kilo, I'm not trying to bury my head in the sand and to say it's perfect. Everything is amazing. And I told her that as well. Kilo, it's a work in progress. We're a young community. Baruch Hashem, we have a lot of kids and we have a lot of noise. Now let's see what we're doing with it. So we're doing Tfilat Yeladim and we're doing Chidon during the Kriyaba Torah. We have questions according to ages and then there's Prasim that are not food outside the shul. And we're trying to to deal with it from many different ways and still there's noise in the shul and i think that all older people my age and up needs to take a deep breath and to remember that it's very important to have kids in shul and if you're asking me as a Sephardi jew what what influenced me or what what's helping me i think if there is something that was very clear in my house, Abba Sheli Zichronoli Bracha, and my mom, Shetiske Lechaim Arukim, a very simple belief in Akadosh Baruchu, a mash straight talking to Akadosh Baruchu. I remember my Safta just talking, like he was there. And I, I remember asking her, Who are you talking to? And she said, What do you mean? I'm talking to Akadosh Baruchu. It's very, very simple, very open. 
And can so much to have an open conversation with a kadosh baruch hu tefila ve'emunah pshuta. Molly, I don't have a question. I just want to say that I'm so mamash. I'm moved hearing you um, because I think that your gisha. See, we speak to an Israeli, and all of a sudden, we all lose our he, our English. How do you say gisha? Your approach, your approach is resonates with me very, very deeply because on the one hand, there's mechuyavut lahalacha. Um, and, um, you know, as you said, like we risked like an honesty and an awareness about how, how things change. And at the same time, there's every, all of, there's an awareness of needs, but it's all, even the word needs isn't, isn't a language that you use. Your language is so positive. It's so mechil. It's so chiyuvi. It's so mekabel. It's so ayin tova, right? And, and just hearing you and the things that I'm reading about you, your, your, your whole approach is coming from a place of just wanting to add positivity. And I think that that is so important and such an incredible, to me, such an incredibly important, um, like trailblazing path for all of us, all of us women who are really trying to find a way to, to do what you're doing, which is how can we add more to our religious experience as women, as parts of the community, also for our men. Our men are also looking to enrich their experience um, because they're not the same men as 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And from this perspective of like, how can we make it better from a place of mamash chiyuviyut and and like positivity and and looking for the positive? I I think it's so inspiring. And again, the way you're always able to, to... to be very honest about where your limits are and that you have limits and you don't you don't hide your limits and 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 you and you talk about them and at the same time and this is I'll, I'll end with this a word that came up I was just writing for myself little notes creativity like an ability to be creative in a healthy sense creativity in a way that's going to maximize as I said but with um, ways of finding solutions Right. And I don't even just mean in the quote unquote women's issues and feminist issues like what you just said about the children. Like, let's find such a beautiful response that you gave to that to that woman. Right. Because you you said like one of the tenets of your shul is this is a this is inclusive community for children, women, children, men, everyone. Um, And then you were dealt a problem and you didn't say, well, we're doing it my way or the highway. You said, I hear there's a problem here. Let's think creatively about how to solve it. And I have full emunah that you will find a creative way to solve it because of your gisha. And I just think it's such a beautiful, um, you're such a fantastic role model for this whole question of how we move forward. Because there's so many questions about how we move forward. And I think what you're modeling is a very rare and very needed and very positive um, living example of how we can we, we can make strides um, and at the same time, be very, very, very grounded and appreciative of tradition and halakha. So I'm going to ask some of those questions in a second. Very nice uh, comment from Ali. Beautiful. Uh, but before we do, we're going to take our break and come back right after this. Shalom. This is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. 
Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. So one of the things that Molly mentioned, uh, Rabbanit Shira, is, is the tension between the lim the, being a trailblazer and, and dealing with limitations. And I, I don't envy, I really I don't envy you being in, the, in that position of, on the one hand, being the head of a community where literally you cannot get up in the middle of shul and either stop the davening or, or be, a, be a, even part of the tefillah, and tefillah is such, a, such an integral part. So I was wondering if you would talk about what it's like to, to, to be in a situation which is by definition limiting in your ability to lead the community that you were hired to lead. How do you, how do you deal, how do you see those tensions and how do you think that you're going to be able to, to address them and, and deal with them? So it's a, it's a very good question because there is tension and I'm not trying to say that there isn't. I think the tension comes even before my formal role in the community it comes from because I defined myself as a feminist and I defined myself as committed to halakha and I defined myself as a Moroccan Jew and I kilo and a mom and a wife and a sister and there are so many ingredients to my identity and how do so they all let me just follow up. I just want to follow up the question. It's, it's, I, I noticed somebody wrote on a Facebook post that there was a, there was a group of feminists, I think oh, Avram Stav wrote about it, that this group of feminists and this woman wrote, I, I had to close this group of 17,000 women that I never heard of because you can't be both. Because I, I realized that you cannot be a feminist and also really true to orthodoxy. So that really, it, it, it heightened, that's when I really said, oh, we have to talk to Rabbi Shira because I wanted to, do you agree with that? Do you understand that? Or do you just was, live no, with that? No, there was tension? a follow-up argument. There was a follow-up article Lisa. in the most recent Rikorishon, right? Yeah. Did you see the second one? I did not one? see the next one, but I wanted to ask you, like, yeah. especially in your experience now, because you identify in all of these ways, and in, in some ways, we all live with tension, but because it's so much a part of who you identify as and this role that you've taken on, for you, it's multiplied and it's magnified, I would think. I think tension is, uh, is what makes us grow. I'm not afraid of tension. It's something that we need to, I need to deal with it. So I'm, I'm dealing it to the best of my ability. My way of dealing with tension is, first of all, to learn, meaning to come from a place of knowledge. If I uh, decide in my life that I'm obligated to halakha, so what does it mean? How halakha was evolved and interested to learn it in a very serious way so that I'll, first of all, I'll have answers to myself. If I am a Moroccan Jew and I married an Ashkenazi Jew, how come we have halachot that are different? How come we have minagim that are different? How come halacha have changed so much from Sefer Vaikra to Pnine Halacha today? The gap is 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 huge. And and how do you how did it happen? And in order to understand that, I needed to go and learn halacha, and that was my way of dealing with it. Uh, and tension, I think it's a healthy thing. I don't see it as something that is. Uh, that it's a problem. It's not always comfortable. I have to be honest. Uh, I'll give you an example. When the, there was a vote 
online for in my community to see if I was voted to be the rabbi or not. And uh, the Va'ad, the board of the shul, came to my house 10 o'clock at night to let me know the results. And they came, they were very cute, and they uh, said that I, it, it passed and there was a majority. And we had a glass of wine and we said Shechayanu. And then one of the men in the board said, so now what are we going to do about Kvod HaTzibur? Meaning, halachically. <laughs> and that was very good. And he said and he said it like, all of a sudden, like you could hear the bell in his head going on. And he said, oh, what are we going to do with Kvod HaTzibur now? Because usually when you have a new rabbi in shul, so you would give him aliyah and everyone will sing and he will... And he said, now in shul, what are we going to do in Shabbat morning? Uh, so Shlomo will go up to the Torah and what's, what's going to be? How? That's why I love it. When there's a bat mitzvah in the shul, they always give the father an aliyah. And then they Nahon. sort of mention, by the way, his daughter is, uh, you know. But so what do they do? What do they do? Uh, well, first of all, they're amazing. I love my community. The people are so sensitive. That's what I love about it. It's not that they're saying, for example, once I came to shul, I always come, I try to come first and to leave last. So I come to Shul, and there's nine men and me. Nachon mm -hmm. happens to all of us. And they started yelling because it was Corona. It was in the street, and they started saying, we're looking for the 10th, 10th for Minyan. And I'm standing right there, and they all can see me. But obviously, I'm not part of the Minyan. And they started screaming, we need another man, we need another man. And then one of the Gabaim comes to the Mechitza, and he moves the fabric, and he says, Shira, we see you. I'm so sorry that you're not counted for Minyan. And that was it. I didn't need more, but to get to give me that attention and to, to be that sensitive to tell me, we know that you're here. It's not that we're counting people, because when we're counting people, of course, we count you. It's just for the minyan. We're so sorry. It's just and I said, Barur, of course, don't worry about it. I'm fine. But it was so sensitive of him. And it was way before I was formally announced as a rabbi. It was just very sensitive of the people just to, to be aware that there are people in the community that are not part of the minyan and it's okay and it's fine. So I would like to ask, is it, I mean, you can, you can say you don't want to answer. Is it painful for you when you're, when they're count, waiting for a 10th person? Bevaday. And yeah, of course. Is it a question? I don't know. I no, don't know. try, try to imagine. I it never had yourself. that experience. I understand, but try to imagine it for yourself. Would you stand with nine other people and they would look for the 10th for minyan and you would not be able to be part of their minyan. It's painful. Of course it's painful. I'll, I'll tell you even more, and I'm not afraid to say it. I have my third child had a bar mitzvah now. Baruch Hashem, I had bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, and now we had a corona bar mitzvah. And I was envy. I wanted talit and tefillin. And every time that my kid is three and I'm buying them their first tzitzit, of course I'm envy. Tzitzit is amazing. And my kids are laughing at me and they're like, you're only jealous at us because you don't have to do it, because you don't have to put it every day. But Be'emet, to be surrounded in such a physical way in Tzitzit, I think it's it's mind-blowing. And Be'emet, chaval that I can't do it. Chaval that I'm not doing it. Be'emet, I feel chaval that I'm not doing it. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not doing it. It's not part of my world. I understand that it's not part of my world. But does it mean that I don't want it to be part of my world? Of course I do. But it's not. Fine. Mm. I accept it. Ha how has the reaction been outside? I mean, your community obviously wanted this and knew it and knew it. Did you expect what the re responses that you got, the responses? How has the response been? 
and how has your community re reacted to it? I imagine even in Tamar and Efrat, it's been mixed, uh, to, to say the least. So to be honest, I, I never got any criticism or mm. any, like all the feedback that I got was very, very supportive, even from people that I would never thought, I would never imagine that they will support me or that they will say anything. I got, I, I, Bemet, I feel that I got a lot of love and a lot of support that I didn't earn. Meaning it's like the, I don't know how to say that in English, Secher. How do you say Secher? I'm you not know, sure what you're trying to say. The dam, the dam, the... Exactly, like the ah, dam. Ah, when that's our a, Hebrew word of the day, Secher, <laughs> dam. Okay, right. so there's a dam, and I just poke a little hole in the dam, and everything fell on me. But truly, it was deserved. I, I wasn't worthy of it. It was deserved for a whole generation of women that were learning Torah for years, and that were involved in shuls for years. And I just happened to be the person that was standing there when everything fell on me. So Bemet, I received a huge amount of support and love and Bemet, I, I can't even explain it. Not just from all over Israel and all over my community and all over Efrat, but Bichlal, Haredi people that are writing to me. Um, people from LA, from France, from Spain, from Italy. Mm. My, it was for and me. And you're not getting any negative feedback. I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, well, she doesn't read the talkbacks, right? I read that you said so. You, you got that it's message. True. <laughs> it's true. I, I try not. I read it once and then <laughs> that was it. We made a joke out of it and so I don't read it anymore. I try not to. Bichlal, I don't read the interviews and I, I don't try not to look at them. Um, no, I didn't get any anything. I, a lot of people have questions, and I understand that. They're like, what's really going on in your shul? What are you really doing? Like, how does it happen? What is going on? Um, so I get a lot of questions. I did not get... I, I'm sure that there are people that are uncomfortable with it, but the, it didn't came to me. Okay, do you guys want to ask about other questions? Johnny, do you want to go ahead? Uh, just one more. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in... A whole variety of things, certainly contemporary halacha and shutim. So, so I want to ask you a kind of a, an open question. If you had a chance to write one psak that the world would listen to, what would that psak be? Oh, wow. Oh, that's a great question. That's a good one. You can take a few yeah. seconds. No, Do you want to I, think about it, or are you uh, thinking about what you want to do? I have a few, but I think... Nahon, you always say Gadola Metsuvevose Vimisha no Metsuvevose? I didn't No, no, not that you said that. So I would I would say don't put us in competition. Kilu, it doesn't matter who's bigger than who. So you're Mitsuve and I'm not Mitsuve. Fine. It's okay. So you get a star in the sky and I'm not gonna get the star. Fine by me. It's okay. Kilu well, I'm trying to understand, meaning you're saying that we should not exclude women from performing mitzvot because they're not commanded to do them. Exactly, meaning if it's, it's patur ve-mutar, it's not necessarily patur ve-asur. Mm. I so, heard something even more, Anish, and I heard something even more, which is for the women to also feel and to tell the men that 
the stars in the sky, as you said, Gadol, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu does his cheshbonot. Exactly. It's the wrong madad. It's the wrong way to measure. It's like uh, there's a beautiful... Um, it might be the right uh, madad, but that's for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's leave it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not for us. We, not, we don't need to do cheshbonot shamayim. I would say even more, when you think about the mitzvah, what, you know, there's, I think I'm trying to remember. I think it's... I'll, I'll remember who says this. Um... It doesn't matter. But uh, the, the idea that, like, how can you say Torah? How can a woman say Birkata Torah on, 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 uh, on learning Torah? And the answer is because even if she might be patur from the formal mitzvah of Torah, she's not patur from the chavaya, from the chavtsa, the chavaya of, of, of limud Torah, right? And, and, and the growth and the, the, the spiritual experience of limud Torah, the woman experiences is the same as a man. So I feel like what you're saying is the same thing with. Any, any mitzvah that a woman is doing. So so you're right, maybe in Shamayim, you know, I, I take a lulav and I get a smaller check mark. It doesn't matter the chavaya that, the, the, that, that I have when I'm shaking the lulav, the spiritual benefit that I get as a woman is is irrespective of whether or not I get a different star in Shamayim because I'm formally patur or mutar. That's how I heard what you said. I don't know if that's no, definitely, what because... you intended, but I think it's a very, very important and beautiful point. Yeah. Because I think us humans, like we don't need to deal with what is more greater than the other. I, it doesn't matter here in reality. What matter is Avodat Hashem. Mm-hmm. And the whole, I think, aim is We want people to be involved and to have Hashem part of their daily life and to have Hashem in their toda'ah, in their awareness throughout the day. If it's through tefillah, if it's through mitzvot, through brachot through chinuch yeladim, whatever it is that you're doing. So I think it doesn't really matter if I'm mitzvah or not mitzvah. Don't be picky with me. There's no need to be picky. I'll do as long as I have avodat Hashem and as long as I have awareness and I have Hashem in my mind and in my heart. Let go of the cheshbonot. Okay. I would like to ask, okay, I would like to ask a, um, a sort of a question, a sociological question which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with and something you alluded to before. So I'm sure you know that like in America, the OU sort of made rules that would have made, that makes your role in America. You could never be the, rab, the, the leader of, an, of a shul. You could be Yoetzad Halacha, you could be some kind of scholar, but you could not be the, the spiritual leader of a shul and still be considered part of the Orthodox Union. And that actually, that move has had a, 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 an effect on many communities in the United States. That's on the one hand. In Israel, there's no OU, for better or for worse. So in Israel, on the one hand, there's no mniyah, there's no, nothing holding you back from becoming the spiritual leader. But on the other hand, I can't help thinking, like I think about my Beit Knesset, and the Beit Knesset that you went to, and Mali's Beit Knesset, and most Beit Knesset that I'm aware of, where women are, how do you want to say, how do you say it before? They're not seen. They're, not, they're, they're literally not seen. They're not considered part of the, of the community, part of the Beit Knesset, uh, any element that the Beit Knesset has to take into, into account as people. And to me, it's on the one hand, so on the one hand, I see like this, the, the, this appointment is on the one hand very much moving forward, but in the broader context of a community, of a religious community here in Israel that in general is way, way behind where the United States is in terms of including women in their communities. And I'm wondering how, how you feel about that. On the one hand, you're like so far about. Do you, is it possible that you're so far ahead when that's really not the issue that needs to be addressed? More the issue that has to be addressed by far to me is that my daughter should be seen in shul, that they should care that she should see when there's tefillah, that they should care that she should hear, 
when they don't even think about that at all. I was wondering how, like, I, I, I'm, st I'm, st I'm just very torn with this tension. I'm wondering how you feel about it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I understand because the comparison to the to the United States, I don't really, I, I'm not really aware of the politics and the, but I think I don't mean that. Like you leave the United States yeah. alone. I'm saying here in Israel, like I feel like most communities are so far from you know, like it's it's wonderful that your community has felt that this is right for it and that's what they chose. And but and they but that's not the I think that having a female spiritual leader isn't the issue that that we're struggling with in this area. That's what that's what I'm trying to say. Even I remember when I saw the video when they they, they danced for you in Lindenbaum, right? You got up and you spoke, and you you told the girls don't abandon a Knesset, if, if I remember. And I remember thinking like, like you know like they were so proud of you on the one hand, but you're afraid that they're not even going to come to shul when they go home. I'll I'll tell you something. Mamash last Friday. Shabbat Ba'erev, in my family, we all go to shul together, meaning I light candles and we all, everyone has to leave it. We're opening the shul, the whole family together, and we're closing the shul. Also Shabbat morning, everyone is going together. And someone saw us in the street, he was walking to his shul, we were walking the whole family, and he said, how come in my family, my kids don't want to come to shul? How come in my family, my wife wants to sit and read the newspaper? What can I do? So that my family, he, he was speaking to Shlomo, obviously, not to me. And he said, what are you doing that your wife wants to go to shul? How does it work? How does it work that your kids are coming to shul with you for Mincha before Shabbat? And, and I think that it's very naive to think that kids or teenagers or women would want to go to a place that they don't have a space that no one is looking at them, that they're not part of the, they're not part of whatever is going on. They're watching over something. And I think the days that women were sitting in the second floor, looking over, sometimes they can hear, sometimes they can't, sometimes they can see, sometimes they can't. There's a price to it. And I think we're paying that price now, meaning in our generation. I think we're paying the price if, People are keep on telling me the slippery slope, and I keep on saying there are price to pay on either sides. Nachon, I'm, I am, believe me, have the slippery slope in my heart, and it's bemet. I don't sleep at night over it. I don't, I don't do it lightly, bichlalo. But I think the slippery slope has a price on the other side as well. And if shuls will continue to look at themselves as a minyan and they will only be nice to people that are part of the minyan, and they won't see that, 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 that it should be a community. And in a community you have, even though they're not counted to minyan, you have women, and they need to be part of whatever it is that is going on. And you need to do as much as you can do within the lines of halakha. There's so much that you can do in order to include the kids, in order to include the women. And if you're not gonna do it, there's gonna be a price to it. And the price would be, that the shul will be irrelevant, not just to my daughter, but to my boys as well. Because my boys, Be'ezrat Hashem, will grow up, he would leave yeshiva, he's now in high school, he would go to the army, he would go to yeshiva, he would go to university, and he would live in a co-ed uh, society. Maybe he will have a woman that would be a boss. Maybe he would vote for a woman that will be a prime minister or a president or a minister in the in the Knesset. When we'll have a Knesset one day, Beis Hashem. <laughs> but sometimes people don't see the stira, the contradiction, 
that they have no problem for voting to Ayelet Shaked as prime minister of, of mishpatim, of laws, of justice, but they would never listen to a woman saying Dvar Torah in their shul. And they don't see the contradiction. And for me, it's like mind blowing that you are able to see women in one side, you are willing to sit in a board meeting in your, in your work and have a woman CFO or COO, and she will give you a presentation and you will be very respectful and you would listen and you would ask questions and you would talk to her. And then you'll go into shul and you will step 200 years back. And there will be no women that are involved in whatever is happening in that arena. And I think that the price that we will pay, that's the other side of the slippery slope. If chas v'chalila shul will become a place that will be irrelevant to us or to our kids. And what I want to do, or what my vision is, that people will feel that shul is relevant and, and important to their life. I grew up in a shul. I was, Yom Kippur, I was at my mom two years ago, and we went to shul, the whole family, Moroccan shul in Beta Kerem. And the people that came to shul were people that were putting their uh, electric bicycle at the, at the hallway of the shul, taking out the kippah from your pocket, your jeans pocket, putting it over your head and going into the shul. So I don't want to start asking people, what are you doing? What are you not doing? How observant are you? How not observant are you? What do you want to do? What you don't want to do? I want people to daven. I want people to feel that to be part of their life. I want them to have communication, an open channel of communication with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in order to do that, shul has to be relevant to their life. Okay. Mali, you have something else you want to add? Uh, I just want to add that it just it's kind of what I was thinking as you were asking the question and Rabbi Nitschir was answering was just something that, 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 it, that struck me. I, I remember... I was, you know, going to shul. I was, I don't know if I was in my early 20s. And I have a relative um, who stopped going to shul at a certain point. And she said to me something like, you know, I, I stopped going to shul because I felt so, as you're saying, so unseen, so not part of things. And literally at this point, she's in her late 60s, early 70s. She's probably stopped going somewhere in her 30s and 40s. And she said, I just gave up. And I said, why would, why would you give up? Why don't you, you know, my attitude is I'm going to go to shul and I'm going to change things. And she said, that's the difference between your generation and my generation. That's what she was saying about her generation and me, right? She's like, she says, you believe that, you, that change is possible and you can make change. Um, and I didn't have that opportunity. That You have opportunities open to you that enable that change. And I see Rabbanit Shira as continuing that um, in the next generation and sort of, sort of like, Ruby, when you're asking your question, I feel like Rabbanit Shira is the answer to your question, which is if we raise our daughters in this way, which holds the tension, I very much believe in it, right? I just recently posted on Facebook, Achnasat Sefer Torah and Migdal Oz. And there was a process. The first time they had Achnasat Sefer Torah, they asked a question and the answer was not really such a great idea. And then the next time they asked a question and the answer was, yes, you can do it, but don't publicize it. And at this point they do it and they publicize it and it's not even a question about it because the tahalich happened so organically and so beautifully and with both patience, but with also nechishut and ahava, and coming from from the place that Abanitshira comes, which is incredible. It's it's all about ahavat Torah and avodat Hashem. And so, I, I say that Ruby. Yeah, I'm just going to finish my last sentence here. Ruby, you're asking the question by looking at all that's lacking, and Abanitshira is looking is, is asking the question and looking at 
all the things that we can still do. And I'm asking the question because my perception, and it might be a correct perception, or maybe incorrect, is that Rabbanit Shira represents a very, very tiny, tiny percentage of okay, orthodoxy what, what in I'm Israel. Saying, and the community in which I live, and you live, and Johnny lives, no, but I'm not, a much, 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 true. much, much larger yeah, I don't need to get percentage. into the details of the community in which I live, but I, since before the corona, went to a shul that exactly is our Bani Chira. We, we put a Bechitza down the middle, and the, 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 the thing is in the middle, and the woman gives a Dvar Torah before Musaf, and the Sefer Torah goes around to the women's section, and the woman carries it through the women's section, and all, all those kinds of things. It's happening, and maybe it's happening slowly, but I, I think that that's, and again, this is Rabbi Chira's podcast right today, not mine. But, but, but Spicholzot, I think that the answer is to have patient. That's halacha. Halacha works if you give it the space to work. It might work a little bit more slowly than, than you want, but it will work if you approach it with, with, with patience and with ahava and focus on all the wonderful changes that are happening. Don't focus on all the, the negativity. Focus on the if positivity I, and, that, and the hosif or. Yeah. If I can yeah. add... I think maybe from this podcast, we can give out a shout out. So please do something in your community. I don't know you and I don't know your communities, but I'm sure there are women that are brilliant and that they love to learn Torah and they would love to say it about Torah. Don't, you don't have to have women going up for Kriyaba Torah. You don't have to have Chazanit. Start from Divrei Torah. Start from giving the Sefer Torah, doing the hurl circle, and going through the women's section as well. Start from the little things. Give attention. Have awareness. Have sensitivity to tell the woman, you are part of our community. Look at ways that within Halakha, where you can share the love of Torah and love of Tefillah with kids. Even though you might be an Ashkenazic shul, do yimloch. It's a beautiful minhag, and you could get to bring all the kids and give them candy in the middle of the tefillah, in the bima. It's beautiful. So I think in our generation, we have the privilege not to be so strict and to say, no, we're Ashkenazi, no, we're Sephardi, no, we're this and that. Don't label everything. Just try and think how you can add on Avat Torah and tefillah to everyone within the lines of, of halakha, obviously. So normally Johnny ends so eloquently, but I think with that, I think that's just a beautiful way of ending our, ending our podcast. Johnny, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be mevater this time. Slicha. Okay. I really, really want to thank Rabbi Nishira for giving us our time late at night uh, to spend time with us. Just to give us a little bit of people, I think, a little bit more, a longer exposure of who you are and what you represent. And, uh, and I really very much value that and appreciate that. And, and we wish you the best of luck. Mashatzlach in your endeavors. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank Rabbi Shira and Rabbi Johnny and Rabbi Dimali. My name is Vince Spolter. If you are listening to this for the first time, share with friends. Give us a five-star rating on the Apple Store so more people hear about it. Share it on Facebook. Actually, Rabbi Shira, if you share it on Facebook, we'll get much more publicity than anybody else because apparently she's very popular. Uh, <laughs> have a great... Thank my son for our music. Have a great week, everybody. So,